I said, hi, uh, my name is Joe. This is my wife, April, and our son, Nathan, and they're Jewish, and I'm not, and we don't know anything. And he said, do you want me to sum it all up for you? And I said, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> Please. And he goes, okay. And, uh, and this was his one-foot moment, right? I didn't realize that till later, but he looked at me kind of right through me and he said welcome to the holy sparks podcast our mission is to illuminate the brightest lights in the jewish world and beyond so that we elevate the holy sparks within us and make the world around us a better place i'm your host saul k if you're looking for inspiration edutainment or simply want to discover people doing amazing things in and around the jewish world you're in the right place also want to give a big thank you to our sponsor, JLTV, Jewish Life Television Network. JLTV is a 24-7 cable and satellite television network delivering news, history, and entertainment. JLTV brings together the greatest voices from around the country, across the world, and from the Holy Land. Go to jltv.tv for stories that inspire. Welcome, everybody, to the Holy Sparks Podcast. Saul K here. Super excited and grateful to be here with one of my best friends in the world, Joe Buchanan. And without further ado, let me go ahead and give him a proper intro. Texas-born and Southern-raised Joe Buchanan makes country music that is steeped in Torah. Struggling with religion and his place in the world, a revelation from his wife about her Jewish identity changed everything. After joining the tribe, Joe released his debut album, Unbroken, which sparked nationwide tours, an original Shabbat service, a thriving online community, and a workshop about the choice to become Jewish. Gather up for good times with his latest release, Back from Babylon, and get everything else on his website, joebuchananmusic.com. Joe, welcome to the podcast. How are you, my friend? I am doing about as well as any of us are doing right now. Thank you so much for the kind intro. Thanks for your holy and sacred time. And uh, it's so good to to be here with you. It's so good to be talking to you, brother. I'm so excited. It's my pleasure. Well, we'll reveal more of the story of how we connected and how I had a maybe a little bit of uh, influence on your Jewish journey. And But I want you to take it back from the beginning, really. I want to talk about your kind of as much of your, your childhood and growing up as you can and all the way up into the point of the revelation from your wife, April. Wow. Well, that's def- that's definitely a story. I'll give you as much of the Reader's Digest version of it as I can. I, I was born uh, south of Houston, um, pretty pretty close to Houston, but uh, lived with my grandparents till I was about six years old. And uh, they had a ranch out in South Texas. So I'd spend, you know, a, a healthy part of the year out there on the ranch doing you know, ranch stuff as a kid and then, and then there in the city. So it was a good way to grow up having both those worlds. And, you know, I uh, moved in with my folks when I was six years old, but to, to tie into what we're going to talk about and kind of, you talk about the revelation from my wife, I think it's important to start with my grandfather. You know, he, he told me when I was very, very young, I remember he, he called me over to the window and he said, uh, he said, Joe, take a look take a look outside. He said, you can see the hand of a creator in the way the world works. He said, you can see God in people and you can see God in, in the way everything works together. And the idea of God at that point made a lot of sense because he told me, he said, if God wants anything from you, it's got to be just to live a good life. My grandfather wasn't Jewish. I certainly wasn't Jewish. Nobody in my family was Jewish that I know of, but they also didn't have a Bible in the house or anything like that. So I don't know where he got his information, but it sure made a lot of sense to me. And, you know, you tell a kid something like that and their imagination goes wild. All of a sudden I was like, oh, I gotta, I gotta know what this is. So I've been, I was fascinated with God at a very young age. And when I moved in with my folks at six, uh, six years old, uh, there, I remember bringing it up to my dad. He was like, if I can't see God, God doesn't exist and we're not going to talk about it. And that was it. You did not argue, you know, with my father. But I had a lot of friends growing up here in the in the south part of Houston, and I would stay the night with just about all of them on Saturday nights, bounce around the houses. And where I grew up, you know, you had to bring a change of clothes because it meant you were doing church in the morning. And I found out a lot of things about uh, about God and, and about all that. I found out you can't really ask a lot of questions, and if you do, you're kind of a troublemaker. And so I kind of got this 
moniker as a kid of of being a real um you know kind of kicking the nest a little bit and never what I was trying to do but I found myself on the receiving end of why are you causing trouble and and I kept thinking I'm not trying to I just want to know stuff if you I think if you I don't want to get off track if you I think if you believe in God and you have that especially when you're young don't you want to like you have a curiosity I had a massive curiosity about God and was hearing more about how I wasn't any good you know for the world and kind of damaged goods growing up and so uh, you know I, I I was really a pretty lonely kid um, because I felt like I wasn't good enough for the things around me and that was unfortunately the message I kept getting everywhere I was going but it was a good place to grow up you know community wise it wasn't terrible can we pause there for a second so good enough yeah thing, meaning you were kind of in between here and there in terms of your uh, spiritual community is that what you're referencing no, I didn't have a spiritual community because I felt like I didn't belong in any spiritual community. I kept looking for one. I went to a lot of different, you know, houses of worship, uh, uh, a lot of, you know, churches and things, and because it's all all we knew. I mean, that's the only thing you find in Houston. Even though we have the largest conservative synagogue in the country, they're all back in the neighborhood, so you don't find any of that on the on the highways. And I never met a Jewish person growing up. I know, certainly no one's going to come up and be like, hey, my name's Harold and I'm Jewish, you know, and nobody was wearing a, a kippah or Star of David or anything like that. So I probably had Jewish people I knew, but I knew, I was like Jon Snow. I didn't know anything or anybody. And so, but I would go to these places and ask a lot of questions because if, if God exists and there are people that that worship and pray, there's information. And if there's information, I can learn something. I was hungry. But everything I was learning, I, I found myself at odds with. And I think that eventually you you kind of come to a decision where you go, either the problem is the information or the problem is me. And, you know, 50, I always say like 50 million Elvis fans can't be wrong. And so I was like, it's got to be me. <laughs> You know, uh, I got to be the I got to be the issue. So um, so that was kind of growing up a lot of time in the country, a lot of time in town and a lot of time seeking and struggling hard um, until I met my wife. April, April, uh, April made the world accessible again. And uh, she walked into the store I was working in. We sold a it's always funny when I tell people this and I'm in communities and you see like people go, all right. Like there's always one person. We sold board games and dungeons and dragons. My man. Yeah. And she was a customer and I, then I lost my mind. I fell so crazy in love with her the second that I saw her. So like love at first sight is real, but she'll tell you it took her some time. And thankfully we, we were introduced and, uh, and I told her, I said, they said, yeah, Joe plays guitar. And I said, uh, can I, can I play you something? And, uh, which is a horrible thing to ask anybody. Like what a terrible thing, right? It's like going, here's my giant book of poetry. Would you read this while I watch you read it? And, uh, so <laughs> I was like, can I play you a song? And I did. And, uh, you know, we got married pretty quick. So what song was that, man? You know, it was a song that I don't even remember how it goes anymore. Cause I was so embarrassed by it. I remember after I played it, I was like, wow, that was the wrong choice. It was like a really sad emo, and I love emo music, nothing against like shoegazing stuff, but it was a very like sad, like sad, sad song. song um, it was, boy, it was really sad. And, but, uh, but yeah, but we made a, we made a real connection there. Someday I'm going to have to learn that song again. <laughs> so I can play it, it never be on an album. <laughs> but, but yeah, that's how we met. And then that, that kicked off a lot. Um, I don't know how much you want me to share. Much as you want. This is the long version. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, we're, we're going for the long haul, the long, long trucker haul. Here's six hour story. Let's get it. So anywho, no, she, uh, I told her once we got together and we were, you know, hanging out and spending uh, like nonstop time together. And then we got married and I said, look, I, I want to know. I, when I was young, I had a craving for knowledge when it comes to God. How do you feel about all that stuff? Because we didn't talk about it. And she said, uh, Oh, wait, whoa, pause. Hold up. Yeah. Hold the phone. Yeah. All yeah. right. Most people I know. <laughs> I know where you're going and I'm ready I'm for it. Say, most people I know, but I don't know everyone. Before mm -hmm. they get married, they have a little yeah. chat about God, religion, how they want to raise yeah. their kid, things like that's fairly common. I think it's fair, safe to assume that. You guys just didn't do that until that you just it didn't happen or 
man, when we got, when we decided to get hitched, we had like no family around. We had less than no money. We, we were like, we didn't even know where to start. We all, we were just like, what do we do? Well, we can't afford a wedding. So we didn't even have that talk. We were like, what can we afford? Well, we can afford a justice of the peace. So let's go in front of the judge. So we went to a judge, had a beautiful ceremony, just April and I, and um, it was great. It was, I still have what the judge said. It was beautiful. And uh, to be, to be honest with you, it could have been like one of them drive through Elvis spots, you know, in Vegas. We just wanted to get hitched. We didn't care. We're like, let's kick our lives off and do this thing. Anyway, every time religion would come up, she really wasn't interested in that. And we really talked about it after we, you know, formalized our union. Mm -hmm. And I said, I, I would love to find a little church somewhere just to start getting back, get that back into my life. You know how like, Saul, when you were a kid, and I don't know if this is your case, but like when you're young and someone gives you beats and you're like, oh, that's terrible. And then you get older and you're like, I think I kind of like beats now. I thought maybe something had changed in me with time. Mm -hmm. And so we go to this church and April isn't singing anything. She isn't you know, she isn't praying, she isn't doing anything. And I, and you know, I was very surprised because she sings all the time and I was trying to get into it and she just wasn't having it. And, um, I said, I said, you, you sure you want to be here? And she's like, I'm here for you. If this is, if this is for you, do this, I'm here for you. I want to support you. And I'm like, okay. I remember going up, I always tell this story. I went up for communion. I asked her if she wanted me to bring her one back. And she's like, that's not how it works. And <laughs> And, you know, eventually I, I kept running into the same stuff. I was a big fan of God. I, I was not a, a, it made no sense to me the things I was hearing when people were telling me what God thought of me and what my relationship was supposed to be with God. It just, it didn't make sense. It didn't seem right. And I, I had so much conflict with it. And I'm a fan of, if you're going to get in the river, not to bring a river analogy into this. I know I talk about rivers and oceans and stuff a lot, but if, you, if you're going to get in the water, I want to know what's in the water before I just dive in all the way because I, like I like to get in it, but I'm not going to get in it unless I know what's there, right? Is this thing full of snakes? Are there alligators in there? I don't, you know, and there was a lot of stuff in the water that I struggled with. And so I was like, I, again, I don't think this is for me. So eventually, as a couple, we decided, or we kind of came to the conclusion that, like, look, I, we can keep dragging ourselves through this. It's gone from compromise, and it could quickly turn into resentment. We didn't want that in our relationship or in this trying to have a spiritual connection to stuff. So we just stopped doing everything. And then, uh, and then the event happened years later. I'll stop there. <laughs> Love at first sight. Later ballot. You guys were connected. Tried a little bit of I would call shul hopping, church hopping, checking out stuff. Yeah. And eventually you were on a vacation somewhere or tell tell me the event. That's right. Yeah, we were outside of the um we we're outside we were in Washington, DC. We took a trip to Washington just as a family vacation. Saw all the spots. You know, we uh we went to the spy museum. What a great museum. If folks you've never been to the spy museum, check it out. It's pretty rad. And the next stop was the Holocaust Museum. And we go through there, and we are standing on the sidewalk. And I think any time that you come across things you see, your brain tries to rationalize what it is you're seeing. Your brain needs information to make decisions. And it's hard to wrap your head around that place and that event, right? And no matter how you are like trying to think about stuff, it, it almost defies logic entirely. And we were standing there shaking and um, holding on to each other. And we're standing on the sidewalk. And she says, um, she says, I want to get in touch with my people's faith. And I said, what? what? <laughs> who, is, who is that? Who are you, you talking about? And she was like, uh, I'm Jewish. And I said, what? How did you get Jewish? And she's like, I was born Jewish. 
And she's looking at me like I'm out of my mind. And I, I told her, I said, uh, I start mansplaining to my wife. You know, I'm like, you, hey, you can't be born Jewish. And she's like, that's how it works. And I'm like, I don't know if you know how it works. And she's like, I don't think you know how it works. And I was like, that's probably true. And she said, my mom is Jewish. And I said, I know that. That just makes you Jewish? And she's like, oh my, Joe, you have no idea. She's like, our son is Jewish. And I said, yeah, but does he know that? And she's like, I don't think he does. I mean, we were both like, what is happening right now? She said, I have a Star of David necklace in my jewelry box. I said, I know. I thought you were just supportive of your mother. You never wear it. We never talk about anything Jewish. You, you never talk about growing up Jewish. You know, and, and she said, our first date was my cousin's Jewish wedding. And I, all I could think was, yeah, the AC went out. It was an open bar. It's the best wedding I've ever been to. Like, I... I had no clue. I said, April, I don't know anything about this. I didn't even I saw, I didn't even know. I had no idea that the practice of Judaism was even a thing. And you grew up in America. I grew up in America. I grew up in Houston, Texas, one of the largest cities in the country. Not only that, but easily one of the most diverse cities in our great nation because we have NASA, the Ship Channel. We have people from every walk of life here in Houston, and they're everywhere. I had no clue about any of it, and I thought I knew something. I really did. I was so stunned. I had I knew not, I told her I said the only thing I know is there's like a, something about pork that is it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And how long into your relationship was this? How far in? <laughs> like 13 years. That's unbelievable. I've I know. I, I've had times. people. I know it's true. It's like my <laughs> And how old was your son? How old was your son? He was, he was like turning 12 when wow. he found out. Okay. So then what happened? Yes. So I told her, I said, look, I, I, I don't know anything. And, and she's like, uh, me neither. You know, that, that necklace that she had in the jewelry box was from an Affy Coleman bag when she was four. Her, her mom and, you know, all uh, at a very young age, her, her family tree, like my own, was hit by lightning at a very young age, very young age, and branches all over the ground, right? And she, uh, so all identity and everything never came to be. She was a military uh, kid. She never went to Jewish summer camp, never did anything like that. The, re like, the even vaguely observant parts of her family were spread so far away, so she never grew up with really any of it except kind of here and there in little doses. But she knew she was Jewish. She never took any other faith as her own. And her mom just said, you have to hold on to this. And I don't know what it all means, but you're going to have to figure that out. And so it's kind of kind of beautiful that she held on to it the way she did. And so I said, look, let, let's find an authority figure. In the place I came from, you know, from in, in as a as a struggling <laughs> Christian, I don't know if you could even call me that anymore, but what I was trying to do, there there was an authority figure, somebody who knew everything, right? So I was like, let's go find that person. Like What's a, that? Like a pastor or yeah, like a pastor or a priest or yeah. something like that. I said, let's go find what what y'all got that's like that. And so I, I <laughs> I'm a fan of proximity. And there was a shul. Uh, I'm saying shul. I never would have known that word then. There was a synagogue, 20 minutes from the house. I'm like, this is the closest one. Let's go there. And it happened to be this little conservative synagogue named Shar Hashalom, very small southern synagogue. You've been there, and. We go, we walk in, and, and this is and this is where it all changed, was this moment. We walk in the doors, and Stuart Federo, Rabbi Stuart Federo, greets us at the door. I'll do my Federo impression for you. He goes, hi, Stuart the rabbi, just like that. That's how he taught. That's approved by him, by the way. And I said, hi, uh, my name is Joe. This is my wife, April, and our son, Nathan, and they're Jewish. And I'm not, and we don't know anything. And he said, do you want me to sum it all up for you? And I said, yeah, that'd be great, <laughs> please. And he goes, okay. And, uh, and this was his one foot moment, right? I didn't realize that till later, but he looked at me kind of right through me. And he said, he said, there's one God and there is nothing wrong with you. He said, you are loved by your creator 
exactly as you are. You don't have to do anything to earn God's love. You're part of creation. And you were loved the moment you came into this world. It's done. It's already mm -hmm. done. And he said you don't have to be Jewish or anything else to be loved by God. He said you do good because it brings more good into the world, not for a reward or fear of punishment. The good you see in the world is the reward for doing good. Mm -hmm. And he said, we don't know what happens next. We have a lot of writing about it, a lot of philosophical study. We don't know what happens next. He said, we know what happens now. This is the gift, and you've got to take good care of it. And it was like talking to my grandfather mm -hmm. again, and all of a sudden, you don't realize you're carrying a weight until the weight leaves. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I mean, uh, it was like, it was like 30 years of therapy all at the same time. And I told him, I said, I, I want to do this. This makes so much sense. I want, how do I do this? And he was like, what do you mean? I said, how do I, how do I become, I want to be Jewish. Can I, is that something I can do? And he's like, well, I mean, sure. He's like, you don't have to, but I mean, it's possible. And I looked over at April, and April was like, this makes a lot of sense to me. And Nathan, who never really talked about God, he was like, yeah, I get it. This makes sense. And I dove into conversion. They dove into it with me because they wanted to learn. So they went through the whole process. And um, can, I, can I tell you about my mikvah? Of course. But in case anyone doesn't know what that means, explain what that the traditional version is and what your version was. Right. Uh, the ritual uh, cleansing, you know, line of demarcation, one thing and then another. And uh, often there's a big, you know, mikvah, natural fed body of water, you know, where people, you know, take ritual, a ritual bath and, and come out and it's, uh, you know, presided over and there's blessings. And for people who are joining the tribe, it, it is the moment after their bait deed, you know, after they you know, are kind of in judgment <laughs> with this panel, um, then we'll go have their mikvah as the final moment. Okay. They, so, just, they go. so I know you just said that and doesn't trigger me, but someone hearing that might be, wow, you get judged by a panel before you become Jewish. Let's unpack that just a little bit. Oh, it, let's be clear it about it. Sounds that. pretty harsh. Let's back it up. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So in, <laughs> gathering of three. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Din means judgment. Bait is house. Yeah. House of judgment. But essentially there's generally three rabbis, but you can tell me about yours. And they, um, yeah, my understanding is not having been through that process myself, they essentially interview you just to check, you know, how right. your knowledge of things and, and why you want to do it. But yeah. tell me your experience. Say yeah. I can for, yeah, for anyone who wants to know, I'll give you the answers to the questions right now. No, I'm joking. It's, um, a, B, and it's, C. it's after, <laughs> listen, if you just choose every other answer, no, you know, you go through, all of these classes and all of this study. And the reason that you go through it all is to make sure not so they can say, well, you are worthy of being Jewish. It's so that you can make sure that's, that's what you want and that you want to do this and you want to live this and you want to own this because you have to own it. It's not about what the person next to you or down the road is doing. What are you doing? And if you are going to do that, you want to be informed. So you go through all of this to make sure it's what you want to own and then when you sit down with the Beit Dean, and, and for me, it was my rabbi and a couple of members of the community who are like, there was a Gabbai. And, you know, these are senior members who they're very been in the community a long time. And they just ask you questions about your journey. For me, it was, you know, what's your favorite holiday or how do you feel about this or why is this choice important to you? And it's not to keep you out of anything or like, in you know, it's not judgment, but it's let's have a talk. This is a chance to, you know, is this what you want? And, you know, and. and so it's a beautiful, it's beautiful. It's truly a beautiful moment. And then we all went out to the mikvah. Now, I could not afford the mikvah downtown, the big mikvah. That was way out of budget. So we did it in the ocean. Pause. Yo, man, I just went to the most gorgeous mikvah of my life, and it cost me a whopping $7. What do you mean you couldn't afford the downtown mikvah? So uh, apparently the mikvah was very expensive, yeah, no, 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 no. I, the information I was getting is that it, it was not uh, that it was not cheap. That it was big spa-like experience and like the whole thing. And they said, or we can go into a natural body water. And I said, I was like, Let, do y'all want to do that? Let's do that. Okay. It felt very. Uh, it felt like the right way to do it. I love it. And, yeah. And it felt very approachable too. So, but the interesting thing is, we go. 
down to the down to the water. We went down to the water. 64 degrees in Houston. That water was colder. And you know, when it gets in the 60s, I always joke we salt the roads, we bring the dogs in, you shut so down I'm the schools. So <laughs> on the chain. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We wear the big tennis rackets on our shoes. You know how it is. <laughs> um and uh but we go out, the, you know, I go out there, we come back. The rabbi told me, he said, Joe, my knees are terrible. I can't go out into that water or else it's going to knock me around. I don't want to fall down. Like, But you got to go far enough out that you can become submerged and come back. And Galveston, for anyone who's seen this visually, the slope is this. There's hardly a so you got to go out there. So I get out there. I go down, I come up, I come all the way back, say the blessing, go down, go down, come up, come back. Do the third time. I could not, I couldn't stay submerged. I would go down and I would grab hold of the sand and bloop, pop back up. And I was like, man, and I felt like, I, I just felt like I, as weird, this is going to sound weird, but this is not an uncommon feeling. I think from people who joined the tribe from such a strong need and the desire to be there, I felt like I messed something up really bad. And I, I went up and my rabbi was getting ready to recite, you know, go through the blessings with me. And I said, I said, I got to do it again. And he goes, you're good. You don't have to do it again. And I was like, no, I have. And I turned around. I went back out there. So I was like, I got to do it again because I'm going to earn this, man. I spent my whole life getting here. I'm not going to, we're not taking shortcuts. Okay. I get out there. You know what I'm saying? I go under and again, I'm having a hard time. Most beautiful thing in the world. I didn't realize that April and Nathan had followed me out to the water. Oh, wow. And I felt their hands on my back and they helped me mm. and came back up, went back in, said the blessing and there on the beach, uh, it started raining, rabbi had a little umbrella and that was it. And I remember he told me, he said, Joe, listen, rabbi Stewart is just a delightful human being, but he's like the nicest, sometimes a kind of curmudgeon sort of personality, but just a <laughs> sweetheart. And mm -hmm. he goes, listen, Joe. When, when you do the mikvah, don't, don't expect some magical feeling. Look, it's just, you go from one thing to the other, but yeah, I want you to have realistic expectations. It was the most magical thing outside of my wedding and the birth of my son. You know, it, it was like, I don't know. I, I was, I was crying. He was crying. We were all crying. And, uh, and we drove home as a Jewish family that day Man. and have not looked back since. Beautiful. And when was that exactly? What year was that? Well, I'm celebrating 10 years now. I'm 10 years old. I get my beard came in real early and I'm real hey, tall. I'm my get, you're, you're, you're ready for your B'nai Mitzvah, man. Um, <laughs> I'm ready to do it. <laughs> beautiful. Okay. So that is a beautiful story. And I want to say this too, if, if you're watching this, you know, cause part of this little series we're doing, I have some, what I call them, my righteous converts friend, people that have come into the tribe. If you want to talk to Joe, if that's something that you're considering, you know, certainly this, the goal of the podcast is not to convert the world to Judaism, but if, you know, there are right. people that are watching this that are curious, if you have, you know, reach out to Joe, if you have any questions, I'm sure he'd be happy to talk to you about his experience and maybe he can offer some guidance and you know there, there may be other things that need to be said or explored so definitely it's worth can i say something about that of course everybody's journey is so different and there are so many intersecting commonalities in, in these stories that i hear but i do talk to a lot of people who are going through the process or have been through the process in some of the workshops that i do i do one called choosing to be chosen where we open up a dialogue with the with an entire community about what it means to join the tribe and people offer their stories and and it's it's really kind of a, a an amazing moment but yeah I'm, I'm happy to talk to anybody about their about their journey for sure okay got it now from what i've heard from different rebam when someone wants to choose to become jewish you're supposed to say no three times this is the custom <laughs> right now that may or may not happen have happened to you and there's a reason why. A, you want to make sure they really want to do it. B, they need to know that as soon as they convert, there's like several hundred thousand people that instantly want to kill them. Okay. So we're going to get heavy here because this is at the time of the world that we are, right? That you just add up mm -hmm. Hamas and Hezbollah and many other terrorist right. organizations. Like that is actually a reality. Right. Was that ever, I'm just, 
based on what you've told me, I'm guessing none of that was ever brought up in your whole process, or was that? And did you talk about anti-Semitism and what might happen? Oh, yeah. No, we, we definitely talked a lot about anti-Semitism. And one of the things that uh, Stuart does is he's a comparative religion scholar. So he also deals with uh, how, you know, relationships with neighboring groups can turn anti-Semitic really quick and why that can happen and why that's there. And uh, and we talked about, you know, the three uh, denials, you know, and he, he himself... Um, is not a fan of it. He's like, I don't do that because it can share the wrong message. If people are interested, there's a year of study and we get really heavy into it and they have time to decide if that's what they want. He's like, he was always concerned that if I'm turning someone away, they may be so ashamed they never ask again. Yeah. And I will tell you, I had that I had that experience. I'll tell you about this group that hired me one year. They, they reached out. I had no idea who this person was. We'd never met before, but he said, hey, Joe, we want to book you for... Um, for Sukkot, we want you to come down and play music throughout Sukkot for us. And I was going to be there. And I was like, beautiful. I would love to. It's great. And he said, we're not Jewish, but we've walked away from our Christian faith and we've been studying the Torah. And it's kind of really led us away from all that. But we haven't converted to Judaism yet. And they called themselves Noahides. Oh, yeah. Noahide laws. Uh-huh. Yep. And they follow the Noahide laws. And there was a, a you know, it's like seven or eight of them. And so I went down there to, to Iowa and we did Sukkot and was, I saw their sukkah. We'd actually, I thought we'd spend more time in the sukkah. We really weren't in the sukkah that much, but we were in the basement of a bank and cause that's where they gathered at every day, Torah study, Hebrew lessons. I mean, and they could have told you because they came from a culture that was like memorize everything. Uh-huh. They can tell you every passage and verse in the Torah, what page you find it on. I mean, to the number, but they had never done a Shabbat service, had no idea what that was about. And I was like, oh, let's do it. So we, I did their first Shabbat service. They didn't know if they, it was okay for them to sing in Hebrew out loud or if that was offensive. So, I mean, it was, it was an incredible week we spent together. But they, I did ask them, I said, if I can ask, you said you haven't converted to Judaism, and I'm not trying to push that. That's so, it's such a personal choice. But I'm curious if you've had any experience with thinking about that or where that's been. And he said, yeah, we actually approached a rabbi and uh, we went and we asked him, we said, Hey, we're interested in going through a a conversion process. And they said, the rabbi told them you're better off going back to what you did before. And this is not a place for you. Interesting. No. And so they said, because they came from a culture, from a religious culture where there is the authority that uh-huh. talks that is directly linked to God that you don't argue with. Mm. That's what they thought was going on with this rabbi. And they were like, that's the end of it. The rabbi said, no, never are we to ask again. We've offended the Jewish people. We'll do this on our own. Mm. And they were ashamed of even asking. And I was like, well, that is one opinion, but there are many, thankfully. Rabbis are people, <laughs> very learned people, but there's a lot of them. And, you know, and no. You know, you should, if you want to explore this, you should explore it. Yeah, that's definitely a fundamental difference. I'm not an expert in Christianity for sure, but my limited knowledge is what I do know of Judaism is it's all about asking questions. I mean, look at the mission of the Gemara. It's a thousand year argument between different, you know, Chazal and Rebbeim a thousand years later. Right. So (laughs) if you're not, you know, you got two Jews, 14 opinions. If you're not arguing over something, then, you know, um, there's probably something wrong and there's no middleman for God in Judaism, right? right? It's, it's, it's direct it's a local connection. call. Yeah. It's a local call, man. You don't even need a, an area code. It's just, it's in yours. <laughs> so have you experienced in your experience, any anti-Semitism out there in the world, emails, whatever, just curious and how you've dealt with it. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, quite a bit, quite a bit. Um, I don't have a lot of people that will come directly up to me and say stuff. And on the one hand, I don't know why, but they will send me private notes, private messages. I will get, uh, you know, DMS that say some horrible stuff. I will have people that will post in conversations that I'm in, you know, posts that I do, they'll comment on things you know, fair, sometimes some terrible stuff. I block and report each of those as they come in. I don't respond to them. I have no patience 
for people that want to take that on. And I'm not going to sit here and feed those trolls. If someone that comes up to me and approaches me in the in the world and wants to throw that stuff at me, uh, you know, we will definitely have a conversation depending on the nature of the comment and where it takes place at. I did. I, I've had people say things that were kind of that can be taken a certain way that I try to be careful with. I don't want to ever assume anything. And I, I try to approach stuff from I don't want to assign malice to what is truly just misunderstanding. Uh huh. And it is easy. I think when it when you when you do encounter a lot of anti-semitism to to start seeing it everywhere and so i try to be real careful not to be looking for it but when i come across it i I don't ignore it the first time i experienced something that really surprised me is i was in a grocery i was in a store i'd just gone through my conversion and i say just it's probably maybe a month later or something but I had this kippah on that was uh, kind of a Russian style. It was like round, beautiful. It was beautiful. I still have it. Mm-hmm. And I go in this gas station. You know, I'm there for beer and M&Ms. And the guy <laughs> behind the counter goes, well, listen, I mean, that's, look, that's that's Tuesday lunch. No, I'm kidding. No, but I was there for beer and M&Ms. And the guy behind the counter goes, I like your people. And I said, oh, thanks a bunch. And I had no clue what he's talking about. I kept shopping. And he goes, uh, he goes I'm okay with your people. And I said, that's that's great. Thank you so much. And I finally go to checkout, and he leans across the counter, and he's like, I like your people. <laughs> and I said, thanks, man. I, I Listen, I like your people, too. I'm, I'm all right with them. And I said, oh, hold on a minute. You mean this? I said, yeah, I'm Jewish. His face changed. And he goes, oh. And just stared right through me. And it was a hot stare. And he thought what, I was. What was he referring to? He thought I was a, a Muslim. Oh, oh, you had like a knitted kippah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I had a knitted kippah that covered my whole head. I had my beard and everything. And I said, oh, I said, listen, man, I've never made a friend and lost one so fast, but I'm still okay with your people, you know? And he was like, he just kind of looked at me and he was like, you know, 850. <laughs> and that was, and that was the end of it. But it was the first time, and it was, mm-hmm. look, that's a gentle end when it comes to what came later from a not liking the Jewish people standpoint, the comments I got later were deep and people put a lot of, put a lot of attention into that hate. But this was, this, this was like a little, just a taste of things to come. And it really, it shook me when it happened mm. and I, I didn't know what to do with it. I've, I've, I've also experienced anti-Semitism in, in surprising places from people who start off with good intention. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the, one of the challenges Saul, that I think we have, especially being Jewish, is that, you know, we we have a, a set of beliefs, right? Mm-hmm. We we have we have all these books and we have all these ways and we have our way, and certain things are not our way, and that's okay, mm-hmm. right? We can live in this house, and then across the street, there's some people that also live in this house, and they believe very different things, but we live next door to each other. That's okay. We can be good neighbors. Yeah, and build a great neighborhood together. I think it's the best thing we should do. We should do that work. But there are some folks that feel like you should be living in their house, right, and not in your house. And they feel so strongly about that that when you say, I'm not interested in that, I'm good over here, but thank you for your time, all of a sudden, anybody who's experienced this knows exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) And if you, sometimes if you say that, you're not only offending them, but you're offending their parents, their grandparents, their values, their childhood, everything they love about their family. Why? Oh, like it goes super deep and it can turn super ugly, lightning fast in a way that you cannot expect. And I've seen that happen, unfortunately. And, and when it does, I usually, if, if someone comes at me pretty hard and, and like that from a religious standpoint, I tell them, you know, we're, we're done talking. And I'm so sorry that it went this way. Sounds like you got some stuff you need to work out, but this isn't my issue. This is your issue. Yeah. And, and, and I you, hope you, you find can, some healing. I think that's a great response. And I, I, and becoming offended is a choice, right? That's a, it's absolutely verb. You can just decide what you want to be offended about. Right. Um, that's my personal opinion. And I'll I agree. Do it. I, I had an experience one time. There was this market. I used to live in Noe Valley, San Francisco. Strong Not Valley. Close. Not the most religious city. However, one out of every 10 people there are Jewish. And there was this market on our street. It's called Shufat. It's a Palestinian market. Shufat market. Mm. The guy there was 
nicest guy ever. And they had, by the way, the best, I don't know about the best halva, but definitely top five halva ever. So one day I was thinking about starting to wear my kippah in the public. And I thought, oh, I don't know, he's Palestinian. Maybe it'll be, it'll be create conflict. I'm going to just go for it. So I went in, yeah. get some halva. And he goes, come this guy, he walks out from behind the counter, walks up to me. And I was like, uh, uh, what's about to happen? He goes, my brother, we are yeah. neighbors. You know, and he gives me a hug. And I was like, thank God, Baruch Hashem. You know, I didn't know where it was going to yeah. go. So if you're watching this, listening to this, and if, if it's something that feels comfortable to you, try wearing your yarmulke in public. If you're a man, if that feels comfortable, see how it feels. It is transformative. I mean, I, I wear yarmulke under the hat. Sometimes I wear it, like yesterday, I was on BART here in the Bay Area and I was wearing it out. And most mm -hmm. of the time, nobody says anything, but it definitely feels different. And uh, I want to talk a little bit more about, you know, being publicly Jewish here in a second. But with everything that's going on, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on some difficult subjects, but these are subjects we need to talk about right now, specifically yeah. in America and in and around Israel and what's happening with the war, right? Um, you got to go to Israel for the first time pretty recently. Yeah. Ooh, yeah Just like a few months, a few months ago, or I can't yeah, remember. It was March, March of this year. It was March. How, how was that experience for you? I know you can give me the short version. I'm going to try to give you the short version. Okay. Um, I went with, uh, I felt like I was carrying a hundred expectations, you know, not only as someone who's Jewish, but someone who joined the tribe, there was a strong desire from a lot of people to tell me everything that I was supposed to experience when I was there. It's going to change your life. You're going to feel this, this is going to happen to you here. Once you, in, you know, and it took me several days before I could just have my own experience. Mm -hmm. um, and it was beautiful. There are, there was a lot of lessons. There were some experiences with communities there that I still think about most days, especially in light of all of this. There are uh, there were some very powerful experiences there that I will never forget. But um, I'm very glad did, I had the, the opportunity. Did, did you feel like a part of your neshama, your soul, like I'm home? Did you have that feeling or did you have a feeling of, I mean, it's, it's never just one thing. Israel is not yeah. not binary in any direction. It's it's always multi-layered, but there's a feeling of, ah, oh, I made so it. I have a weird, I have a weird, I don't know if it's weird. It feels weird to have this take. Okay. I have so much conflict still to this day, and I didn't think I did. And you were actually incredibly healing with this. I don't know if you know that or not, but I, I've had so many people in a hundred different ways tell me how I'm not Jewish. And I've had people that want to argue it with me. And I'm like, I'm not trying to even discuss this, but I mean, this is for this. I always tell people like, I feel like this is for you and not for me. Um, I have a lot of people that want to convince me how I'm not Jewish and they take time. I get emails sometimes from rabbis who will say, Joe, I love your music. Can you tell me about your conversion? And I already know why they're asking. Wow. You know, and and it's I love I I don't like using the word hate, but I strongly despise that. It's hard. It's hard. It's really hard. And right when I think I'm okay with it, I'm not okay with it again. So going over there, that was something I was struggling with a lot. Mm. You know, I'm like, I always connect with people more than a place. Mm -hmm. So I was like, this is extended family, right? Mm -hmm. All through here, this is extended family. I've never felt like a stranger in Jewish communities because it feels like family I haven't met yet. Truly, truly. I just haven't met these folks yet. Mm -hmm. So I was like, ah, oh, I get to meet all this extended part of the family who lives over here mm -hmm. in this place with this rich history and these conflicts and all of this wonder and everything. And it's here and I can feel it underneath the, the rocks, but I don't know if it's mine. Mm -hmm. It was a constant battle. Mm -hmm. And I finally, you know, the moment for me was uh, standing at the wall. Everybody told me the wall, the wall changed everything. You know, when I, I saw it and there was all these people praying and all these groups praying, 
and I'm standing there. There's there's a little thing you got to walk down to go get to the wall. You're very familiar. And April went with a group to one side, and I was like, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this, and this is I'm gonna make this moment for myself happen. And it was kind of like I had to. It's kind of like I felt like I was grabbing my jeans and moving one foot in front of the other to go do it. But there was a couple of other guys who were there with me, and and they were like, Are you going? And I said, Are you? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, all right, well, let's go together. We'll walk down there together. And we were all hesitant, several of us. So I go down there. I'm standing in front of the wall. And I don't know what to say. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm sorry, man. It's okay, man. I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but I feel like I'm supposed to do something. And I, and I can't remember how to pray. I can't, and I do it all the time. I pray all the time. I can't remember how to pray. I can't remember what words I'm supposed to say. And I'm standing there. I got a seat door in my hands and I'm like, what? I don't, and I'm looking around and I'm trying to figure it out and feeling, uh, feeling really lost and not, and I thought, well, there's going to be something I'm going to feel that's going to pull me in some direction. And I didn't, I didn't feel it. And at the same time I did, like, it was like, yeah, you need to just claim me. Mm -hmm. You know, there's something there going just, it's here, but you have to make the choice to take this on. And so I was like, I just, you know, it's kind of like words from your own heart. You know, I sort of closed my eyes and, I got up close to it. I just, uh, you know, I just talked to God for a little bit and, and then turned around and left and man, it was hard. It was so, it was so hard. Cause I felt like I was intruding. I felt like I was intruding and that I was being kind of watched and, and it, man, it was just hard. It was hard to be up there. But at the same time, I kind of said, you know what? I, I have just as much right to be here. And it's okay that I'm here and I need to be okay with that. And I need to accept that this is also mine and that's it. And so I did that and uh, walked back. And it was at that point that I was like, I am, I am connected to this place because I'm choosing to be connected to it. And uh, it was a tough moment. And things kind of, things kind of took a turn at that moment. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Sure, man. Sorry, I lost it there. <laughs> it's it's okay. It's I cried at the wall every time, and I'm not a big crier type person. I can relate so much because I had a very similar experience when I was 24, 25. Went mm -hmm. to Israel for the first time, and I went to the wall, and it was it was. I won't, don't want to say it was the exact same thing, but it was a very similar moment of like, wait a second, this is yours, and I grew up Jewish. And it was like, there was something that happened, or there was like a spiritual rooting down at that moment that transferred this thing from something that my parents practiced and my grandparents practiced, that it became mine. And so that is incredible that you're able to articulate that. And it's a beautiful confirmation of Thanks. being in the right place. With all of that, and with what's happening in Israel right now, and across America and in all college campuses all over, there's, there's a lot. Okay. So trying to focus on something positive, something to do, what do you feel is really the most important thing people can do right now here in America and abroad to, you know, support the war effort and communities and what is, you know, what are some actions that, that you'd encourage people to, to focus on now? Two things. I would say, number one, look at ways to support what is going on. Look at ways to, for victim funds, for direct, you know, uh, donation sites to help out folks in Israel. Like if you can help in that way, then help in that way. If, if you are a praying person, please absolutely pray and don't. And, and if somebody tells you, oh, thoughts and prayers aren't enough nonsense. Prayers are amazing because they guide our actions. They inspire us to action. If you're a praying person, then it's, you know, it's time to do that. Help out in any way that you can, however you can, and be openly Jewish in the 
in the Verhafte, Saul, I always I talk about this a lot, but when we say the Verhafte, if you if you look at it, bind this on as a, a sign upon your arm and above your eyes, right? On the doorposts of your homes and on your gates. It's kind of like leading out into the world. It's on you. It's on the doorway to your home. It's on your gates. Say, you know, when you're home and when you're away, do this out in the world. It's one thing to do it here and so important, but even more, do it out there. I grew up in Houston, Texas, as thirsty as you can be for knowledge and wanting to understand. I had no clue that any of this existed. And I asked all the questions to everybody I could find. No idea. No idea. If you are Jewish and you want to do more, which I think we should be Jewish out in the world, just think about how do I do that? What are some ways I can do that? And not everybody is comfortable doing that for very understandable reasons. I've met people who are like, I don't dare wear my kippah outside because of experiences I had when I was a kid. But I think that, and and so I want to honor that and say, look, I understand if you've had those experiences, certainly that can be tough. But if you can, and if there is a way, think about how are, how am I Jewish out in the world? You know, you know when when we hagba right when we hold up the Torah at the end of the Torah service, we don't lift it up with the with the backside of the parchment to everybody. We show everybody. I'm sorry, I'm getting really passionate about this. We show everybody in the room what's on that scroll and what we don't do is we don't turn around and go hey everybody in here jewish we don't do that hey if you haven't been called to the torah for the service please exit the room we don't do that we hold up the scroll and we show everybody what's on it that's what we do with our actions if you want to teach the world what it is to be jewish be that part of the scroll that's held up out there in the world to show everybody what it means and what we're about. The world has no clue what it means to be Jewish. No clue. And it's not a rabbi's job to teach the world. It is our job to inform the world about who we are through our actions, kindness, good deeds. We're lifting up the scroll and showing the world. That's, I think, the most important thing that we can do right now and, and, and strongly and with kindness and compassion and show all those things that, that are of deep value to us and show it out there in the world and, and let it reflect because we're Jewish. And that's what we should do, and we should display that. I, you know, I was, I, I always wear this star, David. I've had this on every day since I joined the tribe ten years ago. I got the guy who made it for me makes guitar picks for bands that are on tour to throw out. Mm -hmm. So he, his client roster is like Metallica, Corn, Rob Zombie, all these. And then he also had me on there for a while, which was hilarious. Mm -hmm. But he made me this, and it's it's just aluminum. But I've had this on every day since I can. The only thing that changes the chain because it keeps every once in a while breaking. But I, I always wear this because I want everybody I come in contact with to see, mm -hmm. to see this. And we don't have to talk about it. And you don't have to ask me questions about it if you don't want to, although I'm happy to, ch to chat with you about it. But mm -hmm. everybody knows. Sometimes I put my keep on too because I'm like, I really want to. Now, now I'm fully displaying. I am, you know, just in case you miss this, you're not going to miss this. And the other day, we were at the other day, yesterday. We were we were at a restaurant, my wife and I, and I had my keep on. And on the way the way out, this lady goes, "Excuse me, are are you Jewish?" I said, "I am," and I had no idea what to expect because that's what happens, right? I went, "Yes, yes, I am." And she goes, "Can we pray?" And I said, "Yeah, we absolutely can." And she was like, I'm Jewish too. And this is, this is my husband. And this is like, it was like her dad and like her kids. And I walked over there and I thought we would just kind of sit down and have a come. No, she stood up. It was arms around right in the middle of this packed restaurant. And then people came over and this one lady came over and she was like, are y'all praying for Israel? And she was like, yeah, you know, and she's like, I'm not Jewish, but can I join you? And we're like a hundred percent in the middle of this restaurant, had a prayer service in the middle of this restaurant, which some people may be like, that's not an appropriate place. Listen, it, I tell you what, sometimes you got to pray where it happens at, right? And and it, and man, it, it happened right there. And uh, it wasn't, it, it was intense. It was really intense. And it was beautiful. What a beautiful story. That's my answer. I was a long way around the barn pray. to get to the front door. All good. Pray where you are. Okay. Yeah. So, we haven't even talked 
about your amazing music and what you're doing out there in the world. So, uh, you know, for people that aren't familiar with what you're doing and kind of more importantly, your vision for where you're headed and what you do, just talk a little bit in general about being, you know, a touring Jewish music artist, some different things that you offer so people have more of a sense of, of what they can sure. expect of you. This will be the shortest story I tell. Yeah. Um, I started writing Jewish music to help me understand what I was going through. It did a lot of healing for me, and I thought maybe it'd do some good for others. You opened up huge doors for me and heard my heard me and helped me out. And we got that first album out, and now we're two albums in, two more on the way. We can talk about that later. And uh, and I tour all over the country, and I play a lot of secular venues. I play a lot of Jewish communities as a full-time artist in residence. Um, and during this time, too, spending time praying with folks and leading Torah study, concerts. I have an original Shabbat service I do called Friday Night Lights. Spend a lot of time doing this. I also believe that when it comes to writing music, I want to write music that I'm going to stand next to no matter where I am. So when I play venues that are not Jewish spaces, I play the same music and I talk about the same stuff. And because it's, it, it, I got to, if I'm going to make music, I got to make music I'm proud of and then I'll stand beside. And if I'm going to do this, I'm willing to stand beside it no matter where I am. So I do the same music no, no matter what. We were actually at, funny story, we were at uh, South by Southwest out there at, at a bar called Dozen Street, Friday night. I've told the story, I think, to you before, but it was Friday night and I went, it's Friday night, that means it's Shabbos, Shabbos. And the whole bar goes, Shabbos, packed with people. Eric Hunker was there. And, uh, I, we started just ripping and roaring, playing all kinds of stuff. And then we did this Shalom Aleichem because it was Friday night. And then uh, afterwards at the bar, this guy goes, hey, man, was that Hebrew? I said, yeah, it was. And he goes, dude, I'm Jewish. And I was like, you don't have to whisper that. That's great. It's good to meet you. You know, and, but, and that used to happen to me all the time. <laughs> I mean, like almost every night because I used to play bars, ski towns. I played Montana yeah. 30 times, Arizona 35 times. <laughs> I mean, literally, I remember one time, that's a funny story. I was playing in Virginia City, Montana, literally in a barn with like peanut shells on the floor. And, you know, it was <laughs> I love very it. rustic. I, I mean, it was it. like there was no cell service at all. And yeah, I'm that's you know, the real playing deal. song about Jeremiah and there's this table sitting in front of me. And this, you know, middle-aged lady comes up to me and she just kind of whispers in my, she's like, looks really like <laughs> sheepishly, you know, she goes, hey. I just want to let you know I'm Jewish. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> but what but what's beautiful about that is you're literally giving people permission to claim their heritage by it's being out there in public and yeah. it's a great gift. And I really want to honor you for doing that because I did that for Thanks, 15 man. years and it's not easy because you get all kinds of stuff. But uh, it's really a, a, a great act of what's called kiruv, which means bringing people close, right? So Koloka vote in your holy work. And Thank definitely you. reach out to Joe for bookings. He's amazing. But before I ask the last question, is there anything else that you have coming up that you wanted to talk about to promote a, either a concert or an offering that, you know, you want to focus on real quick? Sure. I mean, on a, on a personal standpoint, we are on the road full-time again right now. I'm usually on tour about three weekends a month. And uh, in different communities doing this arts and residence thing. But we've got a tour right now that we're doing called the, we're calling it Sunsets and Serenades uh, through the rest of 2023. Thanks. I worked real hard on that name. And uh, <laughs> I worked so hard on that name. Um, but we're we're in a lot of places doing a lot of stuff. And, and the website, if you go to the website, it's got a big blown up picture of all the dates and the places that we're going to be at. If I'm anywhere nearby, come on out. The services are free. And vast majority of the shows are free. I'd love to meet you. If we haven't had the chance to shake hands or knuckle up or elbows or whatever, let's let's do that. I would I would love to meet you. Um, and other than that, you're talking about what to what to promote. Um, I'll just repeat what I said earlier. There there are ways to help what's going on over there, and and there are outreach groups and all kinds of people doing really good work, trying to help folks. And if you want to help out, they're out there, and you can find it. Beautiful. Okay, final question. What does the Jewish world need now most and why? I think what the Jewish world needs now more than anything are people, more people, because they, they exist in droves. There's a lot of them, but it's never enough. More people that are willing to set the table and add chairs to the table. 
I believe if we're going to be if we're going to be a, a light unto the nations, right, and and we're going to go do good work in the world with the world, not above the world, but with the world in partnership, we got to be willing to add chairs to the table, show people who we are, open up doors, invite people in, have conversations, and say, hey, we don't have to believe the same stuff, but we can be neighbors, and and this is what we do, and we'd love to show you what that is. The more you understand people. The, the more you can get to know folks and build better relationships. And I think we need people who are willing to set the table and add chairs and open doors. I think that's so important right now. Beautiful. Well, I want, I was wanting to end with a blessing and you know, you love, you know that I love you as my friend and, and we're, we're very too, close. Man. And I just want Hashem to bless you that you will continue with Hatzlacha, a lot of success in your holy work and that you will be a bridge builder between people that might not set foot in a shul but would come to a bar and yet need to connect to their roots and that by extending your hand you will really extend this bridge this gesher of peace that we desperately need right now in our world and that there is a saying from the talmud that there are lights that shine from outside of the torah coming through the torah to illuminate new lights and that really applies to people that come into torah like yourself and that through your unique perspective, you will really illuminate new understandings for those of us that grew up in this tradition and for those of us that are coming to this tradition or encountering it in the world. And that you really have an amazing gift and that Hashem should continue to bless you with great success. Peace and Parnassah. Thank you, brother. Thanks for all the holy and good work that you and your family do. It's incredible. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Holy Sparks Podcast. I'm your host, Saul Kay. Please subscribe. It helps the podcast. Share this with friends and family who you think would be inspired by the content. And we will see you on our next episode.